So there's nothing that I can't talk about. Can I like, can we say dick? Can we, <laughs> can we say the word dick? Yeah, all good. Cool. Welcome to I Know the Owner, a podcast where bar people talk bar stuff. I'm Charlene Wellington. I'm your host and owner, and I'm here with my old friend, old boss, Sean Cassidy. Hi, Sean. How are you? Hey, Charlene. (laughs) You too. You too. Um, Wow. It's been a long time. You have a drink, right? Let's do a little cheers. I'll clink it against my ring. This is my first um, Zoom recording. Very nice. And this is only the third time I've been on Zoom. Wow. Which is... Yeah, obviously, in the corporate <laughs> world, we've been on Zoom every other mm-hmm. minute since... I uh, know. I know. Um, and you're also my first corporate guy, so this should be interesting. Oh, the corporate um, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never struck me as a corporate guy, but you, you do uh, inhabit that world. I do. <laughs> so... Um, I guess you were telling me before we started recording where you're working now. You yes. work for? I work for a company called MCR. Uh-huh. Um, fifth largest uh, U.S. hotel owner operator. Uh, we have 90 plus properties in uh-huh. six or 27 states. It's hard to keep up. They buy and sell them so quickly. Wow. Uh, and I work with the TWA Hotel out at JFK Airport. Uh, I love airport. that place. Yes. Adult Disneyland, it's really amazing. It's a yeah, wild yeah. Uh, I think I stole this glass from there. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> New Yorker Hotel, and then we just purchased the Royalton Hotel uh, on Forty Fourth Street. Nice. Uh, Ian, I think that was Ian Schrager's second hotel. Okay, okay. And then uh, all right, Morgan's owned it for a while, um, so we purchased that back in September. Do you um, work at the hotels or are you in like a, an office somewhere else? Most of my work is at the hotels. Um, I used to spend time in the office, but since COVID, most of it's either been at home or at home. just out in the field at the properties. Nice. Um, so let's let's get to the beginning. I don't remember if you ever worked as a bartender or server, because when I met you, you were already a manager. Yeah, you are correct. I did not. So I was uh, originally a banquet manager, um, really starting out on the meeting and event side. Uh-huh. I had made some connections at the our old stomping ground, the Sheridan, New York. Uh-huh. So uh, from connections, I was in housekeeping at the time. I got an opportunity to work on the meeting side of it, and that slowly evolved into a food and beverage role. So you started as a banquet manager. Correct. But so- mostly focused on meeting setups. Okay. So you never waited tables ever? No. What was your first job? Oh, like back, 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 back. Well, <laughs> and lots of hair. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I, uh, I worked in a little family-owned pharmacy over in Staten Island. Okay. Uh, I went to the high school guidance counselor and uh-huh. two places to go to, and it was between there and a print shop. Two very sexy options. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I ended up being the best thing in the world for me because he's a lifelong friend. He was at my wedding a few years back. We're still in touch all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, I worked in a pharmacy through high school and then through college part-time. Okay. And then from that, how'd you get into event, event, event managing? Wow. I'm doing a really good job of remembering everything. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually, it was a tie back to when I was 18. 
Uh, okay. When I was 18, I moved out to Arizona. Uh-huh. Never very scholastic. Didn't know what I wanted to do school-wise. Mm-hmm. So I had some family out there, and I moved out to Arizona. I lived out in Scottsdale. And mm-hmm. uh, I needed a there. job. So like any other aspiring young uh, entrepreneur, I drove around with my cousin looking for work. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that. Well, that's how you had to do it back then. There was no Craigslist. You had yeah, to like no, uh, walk no, into a place. No Indeed or any of that. So nope. uh, yeah, literally they had just <laughs> built the Hyatt Regency at Ganey Ranch, beautiful resort property. Uh-huh. Um, so we drove up into the back parking lot and I walked into the employee entrance and I literally said, can I have a job? <laughs> wow. And that worked? Yeah. They sent me to HR and they had you know, a couple quick conversations. And then I was uh, setting up meeting rooms, rolling in tables and setting up chairs. Uh-huh. What were you wearing for that interview? Oh, it was Arizona <laughs> and it was in September. So I was in shorts and a t-shirt. Oh, wow. Nice. Did yeah, you walk in like you own the place? Uh, you know, like take, every other. Take a sip of that beer. You, you look a little bit like you're having a business meeting. I saw you pick it up and then put it back down. So that's, that's the problem with doing it zoom style. Usually, um, I've been having, usually this is, this is, I've done seven so far. So, <laughs> you know, um, I have people come into the bar and, um, you know, we have a drink and it's dark and there's bar noise. So it feels like you still feel like you're at a work meeting, but we'll, we'll get past that. We'll get past that. <laughs> the third sip. We're on the way. Are you, are you, are you, you're at home now? Yes. Cause you're, uh, yeah, yes. you've been home. Um, cool. So you walked in, that was something I learned working in hotels is basically if you dress a certain way or maybe not even dress a certain way, just walk in like you know where you're supposed to go. Nobody's going to stop you yeah. for the most part. Like just, and if you're wearing all black, even better. If you have like a walkie talkie, even better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Properties like where we used to work. I mean, there was mm-hmm. 1,300 associates. I mean, yes. On any given day, did you really know everybody that worked in the building? <laughs> no. And I went to one of the Christmas parties like eight years ago, which was a good 10 plus years after like I ever worked there. And I walked in the door and two different bellmen said hello to me as if they had been seeing me, you know, I walked as if they had been seeing me every day and like nothing changed. They had no idea that I hadn't been there for the past 12 years. They were like, Hey, good morning. It wasn't warning, but whatever it was. So yeah, it's just, it's just how it is. I had the same experience. I left the Sheraton for three years. I came back mm-hmm. and uh, three different associates all said, how was vacation? <laughs> I, was like, I was gone for three years. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I feel like the attitude is, there is like, you'll never get out. Like you tried <laughs> to get out, but we pulled you back in. Um, I know that when I left, people were like, what are you doing? Like you, you're supposed to have this job until you retire at 65. And I was like, I don't know if I can do that. Um, but plenty of people do and they seem to make it work and they're happy and they have benefits. So that's the hard part, I think, especially with those big union hotels, right? Especially yeah. in food and beverage. Yes. Because the venues change so much. So, you know, you think about yes. someone who was working there when we were there and what a great experience it was working at Hudson Sports Bar. Mm-hmm. And then it just disappears one day. And then yeah. you're in a, you know, a nondescript lobby bar for a while, or maybe you're doing the room yeah. service bar, and it's not the job you originally signed up for. No, and it's not the skill set that you that yeah. you have. <laughs> but there you <laughs> are. So, so you got this job in Arizona. You were doing banquets. 
Yep, and that was it. I would go, I'd work in the morning, uh-huh. and I would go to school at night. Um, but what stuck with me was that it was how do I put it? Alive, right? Alive. Like, there was constant movement. There was constant mm-hmm. activity. You know, even the general manager who ran the resort. You know, half the year he'd be in a golf shirt. Uh-huh. He was always moving around, and it wasn't this. It was corporate. It was like half corporate, but it was also half, I don't know, event, yeah. fun, something going on. So they just had an energy to it that I just stuck with me. Yeah. Um, that I can totally see that because I feel like our unit of the hotel got treated differently than the rest of the workers. I feel like food and beverage people, um, we work. We don't you know, come in and stand around and then get our paycheck. And like, we're like, what's next? What's next? What do we do? What, what, what can I do? What can I clean? What can I, you know, prepare for tomorrow? And I feel like in a union shop, a lot of people are not used to working at that pace, let's say. Agreed. Um, But I think too, I think we, you know, there was a blend of, how do I put it? Back then we were all young, right? And yeah, yeah. Everyone you looked around the room, you you looked around, you like you knew ninety percent of the people. This was a a layover onto some other type of plan, right? Yeah, could, yeah. Whether it was owning a bar like you or mm-hmm. multiple bars, I don't know how many you're up to now. Um, three. It's three, Sean. <laughs> well, well, it was three. Now it's two hot dog stands and an internet cafe. But <laughs> so you know, it happens. <laughs> Um, so I think everyone just also had a very like I don't know what the right word is entrepreneurial like they, you know, they mm-hmm. were looking at this as you know the way I work today is the way I'm going to work for the rest of my career and I thought that was really good for the bar and I think yeah. the bar that we worked at mm-hmm. uh, was special it was different it, it was a traditional hotel bar I mean yes how many hotels I have not experienced a hotel again that had that many regulars uh, yes we had a lot of local yeah and I, I think I was unpleasantly surprised when I switched to a different hotel at how not fun it was <laughs> yeah. because Hudson's was really fun. It was, um, so Hudson's was a sports bar inside the Sheridan hotel and Sean was one of many bosses that I had there, <laughs> but you were, I think you were like, I think you were just, when I started, you were just one of several F and B managers. And yep. I don't remember if you you were manager of one specific place or if you guys all shared it. And were, I don't I don't remember. I feel like it switched switched off. Yeah. The yeah. goal uh, originally they positioned it where each manager everybody covered everything, but everyone uh-huh. was a focus. So Got my it. focus was Hudson's, but yes, I still fun. ran over to the room service to help out, or I ran mm-hmm. over to the streeters to help out. Um, but my focus was Hudson's. Uh huh. So, so you started, so I got, I got to backtrack. So you're in Arizona, you're, you're doing the, uh, the catering. Yep. And then tables and events. And then you were like, let me go to, let me go back home. Yeah. At that point it was way too much work-wise, you know, putting in Mm -hmm. a full 40 hour work week and then trying to do school on top of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I I didn't need to do that. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I went back home. Uh, just once shifted my hours a little bit where I was doing say 15, 20 hours of work and then focusing the rest on school. Uh-huh. And I didn't know yet that that was the path I wanted to go. So I thought a traditional business degree would give me more flexibility. Okay. Um, but as I was coming on 
upon graduation, I had an opportunity through a friend to potentially get into the hotel world again. So I took mm -hmm. it. Um, and that's how I kind of get, get back into the hotel world is I took a very glamorous overnight front desk agent job. Okay. <laughs> at the old right. Sheridan Manhattan. Oh, wow. And then yeah. you stayed in that company for so for a lot of years. Yeah. Probably uh, I left for a couple of years to go to the Millennium Company, but I was I there for, that. for about 20 years. Wow. Fun. Um, I, I got that job. Um, in an interesting way. So I had broken my ankle and I took a temp job and I ended up, I went on crutches to apply for the, like to this temp agency. And they sent me to, there was a union office and there was a merger and they hired like six or seven temps to work in this office and um, like help with this union merger. And somebody really? in the, yeah. And somebody in this office um, was connected to local six. And so I was like, hi, I'm on crutches now, but I'm actually a bartender. Do you know of any hotel jobs? And he um, put me in charge with, oh, what was his, was it Bennett? Sam Bennett? Was that? Sam Silverman. Maybe. He was, he was high up. And this guy was like. Tom Matuzas. No, he was not, he was high up in human resources. I feel like it was Sam something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm not going to remember. <laughs> um, but, but he told me to look for this guy. And then I looked for him and I got this job. And then everybody was warning me that, because I started at Lobby Court, everybody was warning me, be careful at Lobby Court. Those women are vicious and they'll tear you apart. And I was like, okay, like I had never worked in this kind of like soap opera, desperate housewives. It wasn't even a thing yet, like situation, but I was like, all right. And then, you know, one of them came up to me and I was like, is this the part, you know, in the prison where I punched the biggest one and it's going to be, um, and one, one of them came up to me and they were like, so how'd you get this job? And I was like, oh, Sam. And I didn't say the last name. So they assumed I was like the niece of this really important guy. <laughs> and so they were totally nice to me, you know, the whole time. And I didn't find out until a few months in that that was why. Oh, whatever works. <laughs> whatever, yeah, I wasn't even trying. I was like, I don't know what anybody's saying. Everyone's totally nice to me. I feel like they would have hazed me a little, but I don't think they were really as bad as, I don't know. There was some a couple of tough personalities in the room yeah. at that time, but yeah, you would have figured a way to manage through it. Mm -hmm. I did. I moved to Hudson. Why <laughs> <laughs> move? Yeah. So, so you just started in um, as the front desk, and then you got made the F and B manager, and you had this kind of you had kind of this amazing talent because a lot of managers came and went. And you managed to like be on our side without getting corporate mad at you, without like making an <laughs> enemy of the people above you. And I don't like, because a lot of managers came through there and they could not walk that line because we were union and we were tough and the managers were kind of the like the food right because they couldn't they couldn't get rid of us so if we fucked up they got rid of the first level managers right 
Yeah, not an easy path. <laughs> yeah, that was the like, you know, we and I, I think we made more than them for like a few years. Like they had to go up a few steps before they oh, yeah. made as much as this. I was a server, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that I was not a bartender, but we made we made more than like the first two levels of manager, at least from what I remember. Well, this but at that rate, the bartender rate, um, vacation pay, yeah, fees that went with it, and. At that point, the bar was doing, I think, $2.5 million a year in revenue. Wow. Only open between 5 and 12. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Saturdays, Saturdays and Sundays, we did like 11 to 12. But, you know, we weren't yeah. doing breakfast, but we yeah. were doing... During football, only during football, I yep. think. Yeah. Um, so it was a really, really uh, special little bar. And I, mm -hmm. I haven't worked, again, I mentioned it before, I haven't worked at a hotel bar that much fun since uh -huh. then. So how do you think you managed to, like work that line to like at the end of the day mm -hmm. hospitality but especially food and beverage mm -hmm. it's all relationships yeah right? like if you find a way to broach relationships whether with the girl that's the payroll mm -hmm. the guy that's you know fixing the light bulbs or the people that are working on the floor mm -hmm. you figure out a way how to manage through things because you know that you can't do it on your own yeah you can't yeah. be in all places at all times mm -hmm. and it's a balance of just you know i don't you got to be strong so people don't step over you, but you got to be nice yeah. and listen. Yeah. So no trick. You know, I keep asking people, what's the secret to this? And they're like, oh, I just work really hard at it. Or I, I asked a few bartenders, what's your secret? You always seem like you're so happy to see everybody. And she was like, oh, I'm happy to see everybody. I'm like, oh, great. Now I got to be happy to see everybody. So <laughs> but isn't that like philosophies, though? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the Mike Nash? He used to... Uh, He's the owner of Faces and Names. He used to work at yes. the club. Yes, yes, Mike had great philosophies. Mm -hmm. right? I used to ask Mike, what, how do you hire bartenders? He goes, mm -hmm. when people give money, they say mm -hmm. thank you twice. I said, what do you mean? He said, if they put down money, the bartender says thank you. They go to the register, they ring them out, and when they place the change down, they say thank you. And I'm like, interesting. He's like, I'm like, why? And he said his dad taught him that because he worked at a, his dad owned a real working man's bar somewhere in the uh -huh. Bronx. Okay. Um, philosophy was, is that these guys have 40 or $50 to spend a day or two. A week. Yeah. And it's precious. It's the few bucks that they have to spend on themselves and that the bar needs to mm -hmm. respect that. Right. Every yeah. Time you do it, you're never taking it for granted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A really good philosophy. Yeah. Um, uh also, he would hand you your beer, and if you went to take it, he would drop it. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed just as hard the thousand yes, times. Yes, every did time. time. <laughs> he did it every time. Is that place still there? Faces and Names is still there. The Irish pub I heard closed. Uh, ah. I have been up there a little bit. But, um, but the Irish pub wasn't the Irish pub. Once they renovated it and made it twice the size. Mm. They also renovated Faces and Names and made it twice the size, if I recall. They did. I don't, I don't recall that much because when I was there, I was pretty drunk. <laughs> Just me. Nobody else was. <laughs> 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. lunch hour. <laughs> yes. That was that was a crazy. I would get wasted because we got out of work at 2 and we only had two hours to get drunk. And we used to get really drunk. Well, <laughs> people that don't work those hours, they mm -hmm. don't understand. Yeah. Why you go out all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's because you have no other options. Yeah. You know, you're That's wired it. up after running around. You're not going to go home and go right to bed. And mm -hmm. your other option is to go lay on the couch and watch TV till five, six in the morning. Yeah. 
Yeah. Old pretty quickly. Or you can go out with your friends and have a fun time between two and four or five. Yeah. And you can actually, you know, de-stress from the day because it's a really stressful job that really has no reason to be. <laughs> like we're not, there's no one's life depends on it, but it, well, it's not building rockets, but it, yeah. people make it hard. Yeah. You know, you have to deal with every type of person in the world. And, you know, in most cases it's awesome, but when you get the tough ones, it can really be taxing. Yeah. Um, so you were at the Sheridan and you left to go to the Millennium and then you came back. And then what was your last job at the Sheridan? My last job at the Sheridan was uh, director of rooms. So I oversaw our housekeeping, the front office, um, and guest services. Okay. So. And what's that? What was that like? Intense. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. big hotel with 1,800 rooms. Um, the departments I oversaw were 350 people. Okay, that's a lot so of people. Probably the biggest challenge was just time. You know, mm -hmm. you do a certain amount of uh, paperwork, processing, budgeting, but at the same token, you know, anytime you walk the building, people want to talk to you. You need to make time for them, right? You can't. Yeah. I have no time. So I think just having that volume of people to communicate with consistently was probably the most taxing. And the rooms is like, that's the bread and butter. You can't fuck up the rooms. No, I mean, most <laughs> hotels, other than certain resort properties, it's where, mm -hmm. all, at least in all the Manhattan properties, it's where all the money's made. Mm -hmm. um, especially, well, pre-COVID pre when we actually had decent room rates. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what's going on now with with uh with the hotels i mean it's brutal i mean yeah because you sit down and you ask yourself why would you go get a hotel room in manhattan at the moment what reason yeah. do you have yeah there's no reason no office towers there's no work reason yeah there's no date night because there's nowhere to eat unless you want to sit yeah. in the snow and sit outside yeah tell um, me about it <laughs> yeah no shows there's nothing so yeah you know for a city if manhattan ran 85% occupancy for about 22 years in a row. Wow. Even I think it was New York City. Um, right now, for the mm -hmm. hotels that are open, everyone's averaging like 10%, 8%. Yeah. And are the are the restaurants open and they're doing like outdoor dining or? You see restaurants open doing outdoor dining, but it's hit or miss. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of it's got to do with location. Like what's the square footage in front of your restaurant? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some of them and you're like, okay, you don't have a chance to do it because you're, you know, the footprint's just really small. It's in a bad location. Yeah, but like in the hotels, I mean. Oh, they're all closed. They're all closed. I'm not aware of any, any hotels that have food and beverage operations that are open. And yeah. even when you could do indoor dining, at least the ones I know of, they were really only doing to-go operations. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Cause because those food and beverage operations are huge and payroll is huge. I imagine that wouldn't be worth it even if people were gonna come sit outside and eat. You can't do it with the capacity limits. Yeah. The yeah. margins were small yeah. when you were at a hundred percent. Um the few exceptions, like say TWA has a rooftop pool. Uh-huh. It was great during the summer because yeah. we were the only game in town and you know. 50% capacity gave us a shot, mm -hmm. uh, but it was also a challenge because we had to come up with a really tight reservation system where basically when you went, you could only stay for an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, wow. We needed to vacate the entire pool deck, clean everything, take in a new set of reservations, and then start the process all over again. Oh, wow. That's insane. So, 
Yeah. The customers, I mean, you go all that way. An hour and 45 minutes when you're having fun goes really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also sometimes you don't even like, if you're going to order food, you don't, I don't know. It's not enough time. We, um, we have a very small operation and every time the governor is like, now you got to do this. Now you got to do that. I'm like, all right, now we got a instant pot and we're making chili. Like we're just. Honestly, we're... I don't know how the mom and pops get through it. I mean, the bigger you get as a company, the more resources you have. Yeah. I mean, we have general counsel that can help us read through these things. We have resources and support. Oh, yeah. But to think of somebody trying to do it on their own and knowing that the rules literally were changing by the day. It was insane. We have yeah. um, we have a text chain. <laughs> That's how we do it. We have a text chain between like a bunch of bar owners in the neighborhood. And we're like, Depart you know, Department of Health came by and they said that your you know barrier has to be 18 inches. And then like the Department of Buildings came by and they said that you have to have X's on the floor. And so we're like, that's how we're figuring it out is like one bar gets an inspection and we're like, okay, now this. I got inspected by the Taxi and Limousine Commission. They <laughs> came in and I'm like, what? And they're like, they're showing me their badge. I'm like, you have no jurisdiction here. And they're like, yeah, you have to make sure your X's are on the floor. And I was like, well, why would I have X's on the floor in front of the bar if people are not allowed to come up to the bar? And they're like, that's what you got to do. And I'm like, but someone else is going to come in and they're going to be like, why do you have X's at the bar? People aren't allowed to go to the bar. And it's just, it's just crazy. And it seems like the customers are not aware of all the things we have to go through because they're like showing up at, you know, five to 10. And they're like, what do you mean you're closing? And I'm like, you know, write, write your governor. Says, I, I agree. <laughs> We came out and everyone was preaching that we're going to go by the numbers in the map. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't understand why I use Manhattan as an example. There's the lowest positivity rate yeah. in the state. So why are the restaurants closed? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, and now I think Upstate gets to do indoor. I think they that they announced that today or something. There was a lawsuit. and Yeah, there was some type of lawsuit. I haven't yeah. Read enough on it, but uh, it's only temporary, I guess. But then again, the city's does is not included in it. Yeah, which I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have a few questions just in case, but I think I already covered them all. So now we just got to make shit up. Um, what? <laughs> what is? Um, I want to know about some crazy situations you had to get out of in this business. What is? either the craziest or pukiest, because I had a few pukey stories the last couple of weeks, situation that you had to uh, figure your way out of. I mean, I think that all those messy situations, they always seem to start with New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I used to have a running joke with friends that I could, they gave me 48 hours working in a hotel that I could show them an overnight report that says that we found somebody drunk somewhere in the building. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. <laughs> they always they get close, right? Uh -huh. They miss their like they miss by a floor, or the numbers get backwards. Oh, so they just the, go in the wrong room? Yeah, they'll be passed out in front of a room, but they're in seventeen in front of seventeen forty two instead of sixteen forty two. Yes, <laughs> uh -huh. I mean they do all look the same. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, I feel bad for them. I was like, you know, you're so close. If you just hit the other button on the left of me, yeah. you made it home tonight. <laughs> oh man, so close. <laughs> um, you know, I think working in hotels too, probably the hairiest are the situations where, um, and there's been two in my career where um, government agencies will come in because it's a terrorist situation. Mm -hmm. on a watch list or they've identified something. Oh, wow. Yeah, because, you know, you hear about it, but until it comes home and you see it close to you, um, then you're like, oh, this is why we need to, you know, be super careful and go yeah. through this is because you know, this is true. Like, it's still out there. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think having a guest set a guest room on fire one time was probably one of the hairiest. Wow. So we don't put candles in the rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes but, sense. Uh, it's funny. I have three brothers who are firemen and you know, they go to fires all the time, obviously. Uh -huh. But it's the first time I've ever seen a building fire. And yeah. To me, how different it was from what you think it is. Um, how, how is it different? Out. Well, number, I'll do three things. Number one, because I have brothers that are firefighters, I know they mm -hmm. like to break doors open, so you make sure. You oh yeah, I've seen that. Keys to let them in. Uh huh. <laughs> um, but when they pop the door open, the smoke shoots out the room. And it oh. down the ceiling. So you watch it go over your head. And it's just really weird. That's scary. Down the ceiling. Uh-huh. And then the other part is the smell. It's, oh, yeah. It's a horrible metallic smell. That's not, you're envisioning smoke. You're envisioning mm -hmm. campfire. Um, but it's not, it's like plastic. It almost stays with you. Um, and then, you know, I was talking to them later being like, this is really weird. Like you go to these situations, whether it's a, a bar or a restaurant or some type mm -hmm. of public setting. And because it's so filled with plastics, and cables and all that. Like, yeah. Interesting. We had, we had the fire department come. So we had an electric gate in front of Hinterlands, my bar in Church Avenue. So we had an electric powered, you know, roll down gate and some pigeons got into the mechanism and built a nest so um my porter called me and he was like i'm using the key i can't get the gate to go up and i was like i'll be there i live three blocks so i was like i'm on my way and while i'm going there and i remember this was um the day so that night was going to be the first night of passover and i know that because the whole neighborhood smelled like burning bread and so um, so the whole neighborhood smelled like smoke because there's a, um, a large Orthodox community nearby mm -hmm. and they, they burn all their bread before Passover. So somebody was sitting, there's a coffee shop next door and somebody was sitting there and they saw this little bit of smoke and panicked because the whole neighborhood smells like smoke and they called 911. And by the time I got there, I got there the same time as the fire truck and they took out their, um, giant jaws thing and i'm standing there with the key and they're just ready to break my whole thing down and i'm like the fire's not even inside it's just this little bird's nest that like if it was on the ground you would have just stepped on it you know <laughs> um and there's a little bit of smoke coming out of it and i'm standing there with the keys and they took um was it a chainsaw and they just sawed through my gate like it was a cake <laughs> and just cut through it. And then um, they're about to smash the door. And I'm like, I have the keys. I have the keys. And they're like, oh, okay. And they let me open the door with the keys. They 
had already broken down the back fence. There was already somebody in the basement. And then the guy got on a ladder and with the fire hose pours, you know, like 30,000 gallons of water into this tiny little bird's nest. <laughs> and then that trips the electrical mechanism. So the, the gate starts going up with a little bit of fence hanging off of it. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just standing there. I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Like if I had gotten there three seconds earlier, I would have just like slapped it with my hand and the thing's going up. And I, I just could not believe the amount of damage that they caused. Um, and then I had to replace that with a um, manual gate because I don't want that to happen again. <laughs> so that was, so yes, they like to smash things. They very much like to smash things. Um, but luckily nobody got hurt and um, the birds, now they live there because there's no need for the electric <laughs> mechanism. <laughs> I, what about you? I mean, you're, we both started in the same place and then I uh -huh. started corporate and then you rolled into, not private, but owning your own bars. Um, and that, working in bars for years, there always uh -huh. a lot of people talk about like, oh, we show up in our own place. What is that transition like? So, so I left the Sheridan and I went to the Westin. Um, I opened the Westin. So I was the first hired. So I had the most seniority. I was there for a year and I went to my manager and I was like, hey, I'm thinking about going back to school. Was Sal the bartender there at that point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sal was there. Yeah, we started together. Um, I got to get Sal on this podcast. He could tell a story. Oh, I still talk to Sal all the time. I love oh, him. man. Tell him I said hi. All right. You're going to have to give me his contact information before. I can. We I'll definitely give him <laughs> Before we hang up. He's still there, right? He is. He's, yeah. uh, he does that and he does um, a banquet job over, over the, uh, across the street at the Intercontinental. Oh, nice. Ah, oh, Sal. Yeah, he was fun. So I was like, I want to drop a shift so I can go back to school. And they were like, nope. And I'm like, damn, the Sheridan would have totally let me do that. Really? And surprising yeah, they wouldn't let you do that. It was all like brand new managers, you know, whoever started, hadn't even lasted the first year. It was all like, you know, young people fresh out of, you know, restaurant hospitality school and nobody really like i don't know they were like these are the rules and so it was so you asked earlier about like how to strike that balance mm -hmm. that's a perfect example of how yes. to not strike the balance yes right? exactly a way to make that happen the person that you help they're indebted what? to you right when you're in a jam yeah night, you need saturday covered because you messed up then the person's yeah. like i got you don't worry about it no problem exactly and I probably would have still been there. So I'm glad that 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 didn't work out. Um, <laughs> so so I quit that. So I quit that job. And back then I was living um, I was living in the same apartment that was my mother's apartment that she moved out of I had rent stabilized apartment. You'd been there, um, you know, by the circle on Ocean Parkway. Yes. And um, so I was living there. I had really low rent. I was like, fuck this. I'm going to go back to school. I'm just going to get any shitty bartending job. I have very little rent. And I did that. And then I lost my apartment because when I took it over from my mother, we hadn't secured a rent stabilized lease, which is a very long story. Um, so I lost that cheap rent. And it took me almost two years to find enough shifts to live off of. Like for oh, some wow. reason, 
I got one shift at the art bar where I was working at the same time. Yep, I remember seeing um, you there. Yeah, yeah. So I had one shift there and I could find no other shift anywhere for anything. Either like there was a bad economy, I was doing it wrong, I don't know. But I ended up like getting into debt and um, I had moved into Park Slope. So I knew like a lot of bartenders in that neighborhood. And then eventually I got a job in Park Slope. I got another shift at the art bar and I had, I had actually two jobs at Park Slope. So I managed to secure six shifts in five days. So I either did like a double, whatever it was. And I said to myself, okay, if I do this for three months, I'll get myself out of debt. And then I broke my foot. Uh, and so, so I luck with feet. <laughs> not, not a lot of luck with feet. So I was on crutches for three months. And the only place that held my job was a bar called Commonwealth, which is um, in Park Slope on Fifth Avenue and um, 12th Street. 12th Street. Yeah, 12th Street. I don't, I can't believe I got that confused. And they held my one shift. And then eventually I would show up, the owner worked shifts and I would show up on his shifts and I would be like, hey, I'll work if you want to go home early. Like that's how much I needed to work. And I just, you know, I was, they were like, so I had two, two owners there and they were like, the next time um, we open a place, you know, we'll make you a partner and, you know, save your money. And so I worked my ass off. I, it took me like five years mm -hmm. and I saved enough money and, you know, we found a place and that's how we got Charlene's. And that was, you know, the first place. And I was the, the person to run it, you know? So I was the like minority partner and I had to do all of the stuff I had to do. How do you oh, get boy. your name on the place when you're the minority partner? <laughs> I lost, I lost a war and that's how I got my name on the place. Oh, I did not want my name on the place. <laughs> um, I had a list of 30 names. And my partner and I was like, how about Gussie's Charlene's? How about um, this Brooklyn thing, Charlene's? How about Half Moon, Charlene's? And um, we had to, they, we had to make some concessions in order for me to finally agree to put my name on the bar because I had this fantasy of like people not knowing that I was the owner and just being like one of the staff. And it, it was tough at first because the bar that was there before was called Mooney's mm -hmm. and it was beloved neighborhood bar. It turns out it was the first bar I was actually served a beer in underage that I didn't even realize that until I owned it for a year. Um, that, that like that bar was before a different nice bar story. that I drank in. Yeah. Um, and the people hated me and I couldn't believe it. I was like, <laughs> I don't understand. I'm blue collar from the neighborhood. The <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were like, you're gentrifying the neighborhood. And I was like, not e like a Starbucks could have gone in here. Like it was a bar. It was closed. It had been closed for six months before we walked in the door. And these people were like, you killed Moonies. And I was like, what? What? I don't like, I'm a neighborhood. I grew up in this neighborhood. I saved up my money blue collar, like worked my way up, worked my ass off. And now I have this bar. All we did was clean the bathrooms. We barely changed anything. And like, they're spitting on the floor and telling me to go fuck myself. 
I was like, what, <laughs> what happened? So eventually they grew to like me, but it took a while. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier, so you're doing food in all of them or how are you? Uh... So um, Hinterlands is the bar that um, I live close to that bar and that I own with my husband and we like manage it together. So that's kind of like my home base. So we, my cat wants to be on the podcast. Hi, muscles. So we, so we, um, we always had food there, but we got it from an outside source. We got sandwiches from like a local sandwich guy. Mm-hmm. And we realized pretty quickly, even before they were like, you must serve food that we're, we need to, you know, make every, you know, every penny we can. So we started making our own sandwiches. And I had the idea to do these picnic lunches because that was when we were only doing outdoor. Mm-hmm. So I was like, we'll make these picnic lunches and then people can come on their way to the park and we'll give them like two sandwiches and a boozy lemonade. And then they can go sit in the park and have lunch. Mm-hmm. So um, I learned how to make sandwiches and we have a third partner, Matt. He had found this slicer, like when we were building, I'm not sure if he found it in the street or if he bought it off a guy for like a hundred bucks, <laughs> but it was in our basement collecting dust. And we like took it out and cleaned it up. And we're like, all right, who knows how to use a slicer? And then we like got meat from Jetro. Do you know Jetro? Yeah. Yeah. So we got like right meat over from, by the Gowanus there. Yes, exactly. So we got meat from Jetro and we we're like slicing it and making sandwiches. And then like every week I was like, mm, we can make this sandwich better if we like get better meat or, you know, and it kind of evolved. And now we kind of have like a real food program, which is crazy. And we don't even have a real kitchen because it's all electric. We don't have any um, exhaust. Yeah, yeah, but there's something to be said about that model. You should, uh, there's a little place in the city called Casalula over on 52nd between- Casalula. Mm-hmm. A little wine bar, and I was mm-hmm. doing this genius because I go in there with uh, you work with Bob Rodriguez, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, me and Bob would just float around, look for places to grab wine, and uh, they had a cheese uh display where they mm-hmm. had really great cheese selections. Okay. They had a cold station, uh-huh. and all that, and then the no hood, no cooking equipment. They went with a panini machine, uh huh, chef, yes, and like a crock pot. Uh-huh. That's basically what we have. We have a and George Foreman it. grill. <laughs> the food was amazing. Yeah. Um, no build-out costs, mm-hmm. easy to move around, and everything yeah. the way they positioned it, everything was done quick when you ordered, so you got everything fast. Yeah. I, I just raved about it. I tell people all the time, I'm like, what a great model. Like, you don't need, it doesn't need to be that much. People no, think it doesn't. Lines and 50 waiters. I'm like, you do not need all that. No. We got a panini press and then I plugged it in and it blew out all my power. So, <laughs> so we returned it and we got a George Foreman grill. So we have like, we have panini burgers cause I can, you know, cook them on the George Foreman grill. And um, I've been making mac and cheese cause in the summer we were doing sandwiches, but now we have like, I have like a little induction burner and I'm like making homemade mac and cheese. Um, but okay. we have- for your next place, look at one of those turbo chefs. They're like, I they're, will. they're like 10 or 12 grand, but yeah. they are like, it's amazing. You could do almost anything in them. And it's like within minutes. Yeah. Um, one day, one day when we go, I have my eyes on like curtains. I'm like, one day when we go back, 
I'll be able to get curtains. So Turbo Chef is a little far, but <laughs> maybe. Have you guys heard any rumblings or what does your gut say as far as the... My gut said when they announced no more indoor dining in December, my gut said that we were not going to come back to indoor dining until the the vaccine. I really don't. I don't think unless like there's a million lawsuits and they lose all of them. I don't think they're bringing it back until, you know, 70% of the city's vaccinated. Um, yeah, my, my original gut said the timing of when they shut it down again was right mm -hmm. before the holidays. Yeah. Um, to myself, they want to shut it down before people start going. They're thinking that people are going to go out and start breaking the rules. And yeah. Parting over the holidays. And the hope was is that they would bring it back sometime in January, knowing yeah. that there's no outdoor dining. There's no lifeline for the restaurants. Yeah. But right now, it looks like my gut's wrong because I don't get the impression it's going to happen anytime. It doesn't feel like it's going to. And they, you know, the governor did four state of the state addresses uh, this week, like four of them. And they're like, well, we did the Buffalo Bills game and now we're going to figure out how to get big events. And it's like, fuck you with your big events. Big events are nothing if little places nearby aren't open. You know, like, what are people going to do? Like, go to this event and go home, like, thanks. That doesn't help you, the city's economy, you know? Well, and it's all interconnected, right? Like, it's not yeah. just, uh, like, the Ranger game connects to the bar, that connects to yeah. the hotel, that connects to the train. Um, all of it. Is all, so when you start taking pieces out. Like hot that, dog vendor in the street, you know, like the halal guy in the street. <laughs> well, and, um, especially the bars and restaurants. Like, that's yeah. the the point being that people are going to like connect with people, like yes. friends you haven't seen. Um, yeah. And that for me has been the hardest part because you look back at the year, it's like there are friends I haven't seen for a whole year. I would never yeah. without seeing. Yeah. I mean, almost all of them, right? Like at this point, like the people that I see every day are my, my staff and not, not even every day now because we closed during the week. Now we're only open on the weekends. Because we couldn't, once they closed indoor dining, I was like, we can't sustain this. At least if we're just open on the weekends, maybe everybody will come out on the weekends. But like, you know, we're ringing like $150 on a Monday. I'm like, that's less than, less than I pay you. Yeah. And then if you talk, you know, electricity and then we have to be there. And so. Um, so what does it look like on the weekends? What, how are you, what's your. Uh... <sighs> so we have basically a core group of regulars that we see every week and almost nobody else. And okay. we have a backyard um, behind Hinterlands and Minnie's is my bar in Sunset Park has a backyard. Um, and so like we walk the people through, they sit in the backyard. We have a few heaters, but those propane heaters are actually not legal to have in a backyard uh. um, because you can't bring it through the bar. Like you would have to bring oh, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can only have it in a space that is outside. You can't ever bring the propane inside. You can't even store it inside. So my friend has sidewalk propane tanks and she got a ticket for storing the propane inside. And they're like, you can put it in your car. And she's like, isn't that more dangerous? And the guy said, that's not my jurisdiction. <laughs> so... You know, those, those aren't even, so it's, um, so we have the little backyard open and we walk the people through and when it's sunny out, it's nice and they bundle up and they sit out there and we have like 
a little electric heater that we plug in. And then um, as soon as it gets cold, like they try and I feel bad because I'm like, these people didn't wake up and say, I want to sit in the cold and, you know, drink a freezing hot chocolate. They're like, we better go buy Hinterlands because if we don't, they're not going to be there next year. Yeah. So, you know, it's not, I feel like I'm not offering anything that, you know, it's not the offering that they're there for. They're there like, because they're nice people and they're like, want to support us. Well, and it's also, I mean, this most bars that you've been, at least I've been to like on a regular basis, there's a sense of community. Yes. You're seeing the same friends. Yes. So there is a friends that are family component. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, and listen, we'll see that around here. The places that I like, you know, mm -hmm. random nights, we just order food from there. Right? Where do you live? I live out in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a commute to uh, TWA. Yes, but I don't have to do it that often. So okay. uh, splitting time between the properties. Um, but you know what? Thank God, because prior to that, I was living in Battery Park in the city. Mm. And I talked to my wife. I'm like, could you imagine if this went on when we were in that 600? Oh, wow. Bedroom, yeah. Like working from home and on top of each other. And yeah. The two big, biggest benefits of living in the city were commuting time, which you don't need when you're working from home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, lifestyle, right? You're yeah. All the action and there's no action. Yeah. And then everyone's in one room. Oy. Um, are the, the rules are different in New Jersey, right? A little bit? They or? are. They're still doing indoor dining. Oh, nice. Uh, I actually went up to dinner last Saturday to a <laughs> place, Farbor, over here. And uh, so it's that, about 10 miles from us. I'll think of it. Montclair. Um, and, you know, people adjust. You know, they did a really nice job. They yeah. had uh, dividers between the tables. Mm -hmm. They were operating on 50% capacity. Which stinks because you know on a Saturday night they would have been in a hundred. Yeah, um, we never even got got to fifty. Go on. <laughs> it feels like at least again it's not good, but at least mm -hmm. it feels like a legitimate lifeline to get. Yeah, through. yeah. You're not having five tables in front of the place trying to you know sustain your business by eight people eating outside in twenty degree weather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With that goats on, we um when the, the small time that we were allowed to have indoor dining, we had two high tops across from the bar on the wall and two people could sit at each table and yell back and forth to the bartender. And that was the closest to the old life. You know, it was like sitting at the bar, talking to the bartender. And we like- did the they same could... thing, Connolly's on 45th Street did that. And I went in there with a friend and so we mm -hmm. sat at the high top. Yeah. It was plus against the bar, so. Mm -hmm kind of you were at the bar yeah yeah that's better than us we had it like you know six feet from the bar so well, yeah, right up at the, right bar. Up against the bar which i thought was smart and uh yeah yeah followed all the rules yeah <laughs> um so what else well i have a segment that i call um i always forget the name of it it's called <laughs> you won't believe the fucking day i had <laughs> and it is to mimic people coming up to the bar and telling me about their day. Mm -hmm. And I've been encouraging people to email me their stories. I got nothing this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, I can't, I can't blame the people like nothing's happening. So it's not like, Oh, I was on the train and then this happened. Um, you know, they're like, I went in my kitchen and then I went back in the other room. And so, so what I thought I might do, is just read a Reddit, am I the asshole? Are you familiar? I'm not, first time I'm hearing so, it. So 
Um, I know of it because my husband likes to read them to me. Um, I hope my, I'm not going in and out. Oh, look, I can't get my computer to go on. All right. So uh, how long have you been married, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> Five years. Um, we have a three and a half year old son and a year and a half old daughter. Congratulations. Nice. Yeah. So the days are awesome, but they're getting more chaotic as the kids get yeah. older. Yeah. <laughs> and are they doing school from home? So Austin had started uh, this half day school program we put him in, but it was more oh. about getting in with other kids and social you know, socialization. Mm -hmm. um, but it's amazing because we were worried about him using the mask and you realize it's not kids that just, hard with kids. They all yeah. listen. So you go to the yeah. school, they all just put their masks on. They have fun little characters on them and that and some are superheroes. Mm -hmm. um, like the teacher tells them to do something and they do it. Yeah, and they all do it and they're fine with it, right? And they're all joking and to the point where like he'll walk up to school and he'll take his mask out of his bag and they'll even tell me, daddy, you have to put your mask on. Ah, see? Yeah, that's like, I always say like, um, I'm glad I had the chicken pox when I was a kid and not older because my mom told me not to scratch, so I didn't. But if I had them now, I would have scratched the hell out of it, right? Because the older okay. we get, the less we listen. Yeah. So anyway, Am I the Asshole is a section of Reddit where people write in and they basically complain and they say, is it me or is it this other person? And then the internet responds. So I decided to just pick one and I'll read it as if this person wrote this into me. Okay, and uh, we'll see, and then we'll laugh at, we'll laugh about it. Okay, and since you said that, you can talk about anything. I picked like a raunchy one and a not as raunchy one. So Perfect. I'll do the, the raunchy one. Okay. Dear Charlene, see I'm pretending they wrote it to me. <laughs> Dear Charlene, am I the asshole? Can I sell a dick pic I was harassed with? Okay, I'm so sick of guys harassing me by sending me unsolicited dick pictures online. I can't even open messages from people I don't know because they're so often unsolicited dick pictures. I got to thinking, can I sell these pics online? The accounts are spam and are usually deleted shortly after sending me a penis photo, so I couldn't identify whose dick it is even if I wanted to. For clarity, I don't know these people and have zero way of identifying them. It's all through IG. Perhaps less men would be cyber flashing, roughly half of men do it, if they thought their photos would be sold online. I deserve revenge for being continually sexually harassed online, and I can't think of a better way than to be financially compensated. I just can't take it anymore. <laughs> so, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and you're married and I'm married. So, um, and I, I've been married. Um, I mean, I guess I've been married for a little over nine years and I, I guess I could have been sent dick pics nine years ago, but I, I was, I never received unsolicited dick pics, um, in this way, like back in the day, somebody would like mail you a Polaroid and that's, <laughs> I guess it's a generational thing, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're saying that story, and I'm just like, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, get it. I don't know anyone that's done it. Um, but again, different generations, right? We didn't grow up with cell phones in our hands that have all these no. abilities. And, um, but do you think you really don't know anyone who's done it, or nobody would tell you that they're doing it? 
I would guess, but if you're sending them, all, if, she, if she said half the guys have done it, they're, they're out there all over the place. Yeah, I guess but. they are. <laughs> but I don't even get unsolicited messages from people. Like maybe my settings are different. Hey, like I have Instagram. It's all my family and coworkers. Like, yeah. On there that. <laughs> yeah, like I have Instagram, but yeah, I never really got in, in, into Instagram. I, I mostly am on Facebook and I just started getting on Twitter just in time. Me and Dion Warwick, we got on at the same time. <laughs> but it's funny, I said the same thing about Instagram and then uh, I had both. And now I probably use Instagram 80% of the time and Facebook 20. Because hmm. there's not all the political, like just, I don't yeah. know, not, it just, there's silliness on it. It just doesn't seem to be as combative or I'm just tired of seeing posts where people are arguing with each other. Yeah, that makes sense. I basically weeded out most of the argumentative people. And then I keep a few of them on a 30 day snooze just so I can like see what's happening. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're crazy. And then I, and then I snooze it again. Um, but yeah, I did. I did. I remember like finding photographs of dicks like like somehow somebody like got that to me like a physical but it's not as easy you can't just send them to everyone you have to like take a picture go to go to you know get it developed and <laughs> <laughs> hope that like they don't report you i don't know like when we were kids so like you take those pictures because i work remember i worked at a pharmacy yeah the pictures come yeah. back yeah so and did you People go through your pictures. <laughs> they do. So did that happen? So when people would develop pictures and they came to pick them up, were you like, ah? Yeah, I was 17 years old. I'd be of like, oh, course. Man, what are <laughs> you would find one every once in a while. And you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the original dick pics. <laughs> yeah. As a guy, too, I kind of want to be like, and I guess it's a question for a girl. Does that ever work? Like, I can't imagine. No, that never works. That never like, works. You're never like, oh my God, that's that's the best one. That's the <laughs> so I think at some point it would die out, right? If something keeps not working. I, yeah, I guess they haven't come up with anything else. Who knows what's next? <laughs> yeah. I guess holograms. That's the next wave, right? Dick I holograms. It's a, a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> You may have just been onto something there. <laughs> I maybe. I if only I knew how to code. I have so many ideas. <laughs> if only I could make them happen. Um, should I do another one now? Now I'm happy. We have we have a little bit of time. Go for it. You have a little time. All right. This one is this one is like more more in our wheelhouse because you're corporate and it's about drinking. And I got my computer to work. Okay. It just stopped. Okay, I can use this thing. It's like my computer is analog. Okay. Dear Charlene, am I the asshole for drinking a six pack of O'Doul's every morning? <laughs> yes on that one. Yes. For quick context purposes, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I've been sober for four years. I used to love day drinking, basically waking up in the morning and drinking right away. One thing that helped me kick the juice is drinking O'Doul's in the morning. It's a habit I haven't really broken. And with that being said, I bring a six pack of O'Doul's into work every morning and drink them at my cubicle. 
<laughs> For those unaware, O'Doul's is a non-alcoholic brand of beer. I have a handful of coworkers that find this offensive. I won't call out anyone individually, but I've heard comments like, I wish I could crush a six, six pack of beers at work, or I guess it's five o'clock there or something. Anyway, I'm going to skip that. <laughs> I've also been told I reek like beer, and I've even heard people undermine my sobriety by saying I still have a problem and that drinking non-alcoholic beer doesn't make it any better. I was recently brought into a meeting with HR <laughs> and notified that some employees had issued complaints against my, quote, behavior. I was frustrated because no one yells at Diane for drinking eight Diet Cokes a day, yet here I am in HR's office. I was politely asked by my employer to leave the O'Doul's at home. I'm having an issue understanding why this is a problem. <laughs> am I the asshole for drinking O'Doul's at work? I'm going to have to say yes. I'm sorry you have a problem. It's funny because I have <laughs> a couple people in my life that have uh, been sober for a very long time. And like people mm -hmm. that work the program really well, they have a lot of respect for mm -hmm. And I've asked that question before. And they also, at least with the ones that I've encountered, also consistently said the same thing no to O'Doul's because there uh -huh. still is trace amounts of alcohol. Yeah. And that uh, they talk about triggers and some other things. I don't want to misquote. Um, but basically, it was like, no, we don't support that. And I was like, interesting. Like, I would have thought otherwise. But they were like, no. So uh, so there you go. I imagine that the ritual of drinking a beer is wrong at work, especially if that's what you're doing to replace beer. Like, there's, it's just not, I don't know, it's just not acceptable. Like, yeah, part of you wants to go, like, I don't think you're past it just yet. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, I don't think you're past it. Right, there's lots of other options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of what else would be inappropriate. Like, like you were. It was never okay for you to drink a beer at work, so it's not okay to replace it with O'Doul's. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you want to do your, if you want to do your routine on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Well, that's another story. Yeah. By the way, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking tequila and soda. I had been drinking um, uh, Negronis when I was doing these, and I found out I was getting way too drunk. Oh. <laughs> because I, I don't drink that much anymore, um, especially now, you know, because I have to close at 10 and go home. And I've always been more of a social drinker. And if there's not a lot of socializing, I don't want to like come home and have a drink. So I would have two Negronis and, you know, fall down a little bit. So <laughs> now I'm just having a nice tequila and soda. <laughs> what are you drinking? I have a flight of fancy IPA. Um, I find IPAs are great too, because you could be like, oh, I only had two beers, but they're twice as big and double the Yeah, <laughs> everybody loves IPAs, not me. I don't like beer. I like everything, um, but it depends on what mood I'm in. You know, some days mm -hmm. I want a glass of wine. Some days I want a cocktail. Uh, some days I want a beer. Yeah. But some days I just want a Coors Light. You know, it all depends on the mood I'm in, the temperature. Yeah. I think Coors Light is more of a summer daytime. I would, I would drink a Coors Light. I equate that if I'm tailgating with friends at like a football game, right? Uh, yeah. That's something that I would pop a Coors Light at like doing an activity with people in a place that sounds amazing 
<laughs> Being within six feet of friends. Oh, you know, man. Oh, man. So exciting. Um, all right. I guess um, we did it. We did the thing. Well, look at that. My first podcast. That. Your first podcast. What do you think? I don't know. You tell me. You're, you're, I think, you've been doing this. I think you did good. You, you like interviewed me a little bit. And uh, so that's great. All right, I'll do the sign off. Um, oh, I forgot to ask because I'm going to do it. Um, do you have any organizations you want to plug? Most people I'm I'm talking to have bars, and they're like support my. Well, I'd probably staff. say that I work with the Food and Beverage Association in the city. Mm -hmm. um, so not for profit, 501c3, and it's usually hospitality people that get together and it's a large function of it is networking. Um, uh -huh. All the charitable um, drive is based off of scholarships for hospitality students. So okay. With City Tech and um, each year we try to, um, the goal is to get 20 grand in donations so that we can give senior scholarships to four students each year and hopefully try and pay for their entire senior year. Oh, oh nice. So that's the Restaurant Association? That's the Food and Beverage Association of America. <laughs> Good job, me. Food and Beverage Association of America. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, been around since 1954. Um, and again, sounds nice. The great networking group that, you know, all the networking is founded in the principle of like raising money so that we can give out scholarships for people pursuing hospitality. That sounds very nice. And for me, if you want to send a tip, to the staff at Hinterlands. You can Venmo me at Hinterlands Bar um, or for Minis um, at Minis Bar BK. And thank you. This has been, um, thank you, Sean. This has been Sean Cassidy and I'm Charlene Wellington. And this has been, I know the owner. I said that a few times, maybe my <laughs> drink is working and uh, that's it. Bye-bye. Uh, let's shut the recorder. I know the owner. I know the owner. I know the owner.